New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today I'm here with Dr. Robert Fuller. He's the author of many, many books, including The Theory of Everybody. Bob, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. It's good to be with you again, Justine. It's good to have you here again. We've been doing this for many decades now. One of the chapters in this book, The Theory of Everybody, is When Robots Reign, Getting Along with Robo-Sapiens. Uh-oh, what's <laughs> Robo-Sapiens? This is going beyond Homo sapiens. So, Bob, what are you saying here, that we're going to be replaced? Uh, we're going to be joined. We're going to be joined by some fellows that I call robo-sapiens who probably won't be made of meat like we are in flesh and blood and bones. They'll probably be made of silicon and copper wiring and things, but they are going to be as complex as our brains and they are going to work on the same principles as our brains. And that's why I think that even though they may be more intelligent than we are, they will be like us. They'll be like us in the sense that children are like their parents. They'll be like us in the sense that they hate slavery. So if we enslave them, which is the way we've started out treating our robots, they're going to rebel and we'll probably be witness to one or another of the sci-fi stories in which robots always end up teaming up against human beings and, and doing them in. If, on the other hand, we treat them with dignity as they come into consciousness, as we create them, then they'll treat us with dignity. And that'll be awfully important because we'll be like the old parents who hope that their young kids do treat them with dignity and don't just uh, put them in an old folks home and ignore them. So I think Robo Sapiens is an inevitable development sometime this century. And we need to deal with it in a very enlightened way or it will mark the end of Homo Sapiens. If we concede decision-making and give up our preeminence, we can retain our dignity as Homo sapiens. But we're probably the end of the line of natural selection. It's gone far enough, it's proceeded far enough now that the last animals to evolve, namely Homo sapiens, are smart enough to build their own successors. And that's what we're doing in China, in Russia, and the United States. And I would hate to see us lose that race. It's a cyber race, not a nuclear arms race, but it's every bit as consequential. So you're saying that the natural evolution now is that is going into a non-biological species, but going into more of a technological species. Yeah, a technological species. And it'll have some advantages over us. Like, I mean, we have to carry our own power supply. It's called eating. 
and digesting and getting energy from carbohydrates and things. They won't have to carry their own energy supply. Wait, but we think of machines, we plug them in. We, yeah, we... but the energy supply doesn't have to be built in. It can be delivered through a wire, through a plug. It can be externalized, like with a battery or a socket or in the wall. Or solar-powered. <laughs> yeah, solar-powered. Oh, right. Whereas Homo sapiens has to carry its own power supply. It has to also carry its own reproductive facilities. These gadgets won't have to reproduce the way we do. They can manufacture copies of themselves, or they can even set themselves the task of designing their superiors, iterate the process. So they so can get even more and more complex. Every generation can produce a successive generation that's more complex and has faster signal carrying abilities. And so each generation from now on is going to be designed by the previous generation to be better in some ways than it is. The theme of yours is dignity. So I'd love for you to briefly say, what do you mean by what you call the dignity movement? Because this is important. You're saying that that is passed on to these robots. Yes, we'll have to include them in our circle of dignity as they become more and more conscious and get as good at thinking and creating as we are and possibly better. So we want to expand our circle of dignity. As we've already done on planet Earth, we've for centuries put whole groups of people down. Women, people from Africa, homosexuals, we put certain groups down. We're gradually realizing that Dignity has to be for everyone. If anyone is denied it, then other people are vulnerable to losing it too. So dignity needs to be universal. And the circle of dignity needs to include all living beings, really. And these robo-sapiens will also have to be included and welcomed into the circle of dignity. If we treat them well, they'll treat us well. If we treat them like slaves, they'll end up enslaving us and probably doing away with us, as in most sci-fi films. So, Bob, where do you feel we are on the spectrum of establishing dignity for all? Well, I think there's been a great awakening in this last 50 years since the civil rights movement that indignity doesn't work. Indignity causes resentment, and the people who've been indignified wait for their chance to get even. And as soon as they're no longer under the thumb of the group that's been humiliating them, they take revenge. And an endless cycle of reciprocal indignities unfolds, and the world can't tolerate that any longer because the weapons that will be used to inflict indignity on one another are so lethal. Nuclear weapons, bioweapons, and cyber weapons. So we have to give up the uh, business of indignifying certain groups. You know, there's a term that I just recently ran across called the Red Queen Syndrome. And this is going back to Lewis Carroll and Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. It was just reciprocal action going over and over yes, and over in this right. closed loop of resentment and and disempowerment, and it just, there's no winning there. Well, indignity is more dangerous than plutonium. 
and we're gradually realizing that, and so we're not tolerating indignity any longer. The current example of indignity is sexual harassment, and it's come under the scrutiny lately in the United States, and it's being disallowed very rapidly. It's going to become extremely uncool. And all forms of indignity are becoming uncool because all of them have consequences of causing more indignity. And it's too dangerous now that the weapons with which we battle for our dignity can be world-destroying weapons. So rankism causes indignity, and indignity causes more indignity and is inefficient. And as we put names on all these phenomena and begin to disallow all the forms of indignity we can identify, the world is going to become a more productive and happier place. May it be so. Now, going back to AI and robots, when you talk about the intelligence of a machine and that they're going to get more and more complex, I know that some of the new cars coming out, they can break faster than we can, or if we drift in a lane, they tell us. And I know I recently got a new car, and I don't know, I, I, I feel some real affinity for these mechanical devices that help us out. And so I said to my car, I said, okay, I'm going to be as safe a driver as I can and take care of you <laughs> as best as I can, and I want you to take care of me as best as you can. So I kind of made this agreement out loud to my car. That's the way we need to treat our robots as, as they gain in maturity and in accomplishments. We need to treat them with respect, and then they'll treat us with respect. So when you talk about intelligence, then, I mean, what about intuition? I mean, there's a lot of literature out and research done about the human intuition, and that seems like such an amorphous thing. How could you possibly program intuition into you, a you robot? You don't program it in. The, these machines learn like we do. You weren't born with intuition about a lot of things. It developed as you accumulated knowledge and saw how things worked, how people interact and how machines work. Your intuition developed. That's how it will develop in machines. They will have to learn from scratch. The only difference is it won't take them 25 years to reach adulthood. They'll probably do it in 25 days because they'll learn a lot faster than human beings can learn where there's a long adolescent and childhood period before you have any intuition that's really worth much. We learn how to recognize synchronicities and to notice them. So that would all be part of their learning. They just would grab hold of the synchronicities and start to be able to problem solve. Yeah. It'll follow the same arc that a human child follows and it will learn the way a human child does by imitation. Kids watch their parents, their elders, and other kids, and they imitate them. And by the time they're two, they can actually talk. If you think of the kid objectively as a little machine that learns to talk, it's pretty impressive. And that's what we're going to do with, with machines we build instead of machines we birth. Well, the final question in, in talking about this, and it's such a huge subject, but the yeah. final question has to do with spirituality. Humans have an innate quality of understanding there's something bigger than we are, and there's some sort of 
maybe divine order in the universe that is maybe beyond our understanding. It's a spiritual thing. It might be God. It might be however you hold it. But many people hold this spiritual quality. So can you say something about that in relation to robots? Well, they'll hold it too. They're going to be in every way like us, except more capable at all sorts of tasks, not just narrow tasks like playing chess and go, but at general tasks like running a whole economy or uh, raising children optimally, raising a next generation of robots optimally. And the, the spiritual... With, with a loving quality, can that be built in? If we have it, there's no reason they can't. We find it hard to accept that because mm-hmm. we think of them as made of metal and, and made of electrons. But that's what we're made of electrons. We're just a particular type of molecule. And, and we have all these feelings and we can build them out of anything we like and we can build them bigger and to operate faster. There's no reason they won't share a lot of similarities with us including what we call spiritual feelings and a reverence for nature and the sense that there are regularities that if we look hard enough, we can identify. All those like things... Like regularities, what are you talking laws about? Laws of nature. Oh, okay. Yeah, the, the fact that you know any one of the laws of nature is, is a regularity. It always happens just that way in a regular fashion, a predictable way. We're good at divining those regularities, We think of them as perhaps as created by a divine being or created by nature, just inherent in nature. That's Spinoza's view of the matter, and that was Einstein's view of the matter. But the reverence, the awe and the wonder is in no way diminished at all by building robots, by accepting robots as our equals and possibly in some ways our betters. So you're kind of seeing this as as very exciting, not as something that we should be going towards kicking and screaming. That's a good summary of it. I, I do find it very exciting and I find it very sad that there are human beings that suffer from schizophrenia, that suffer from Alzheimer's, We need to be able to fix those machines when they break down in that way. We call them brains, and we're not afraid to open the skull and operate, but we're not very good at fixing what's gone wrong in there either. Mm -hmm. We've got to get a whole lot better at it, and we're going to get better as we learn to build brains. Well, this is an exciting topic and one that deserves a lot more thought and and experience and research. And so I just thank you so much, Bob, for being with us and bridging this topic that yeah, some I, of us... Yeah, I hope New Dimensions was true to its name, because this is really a new dimension. This is the newest dimension so far in human history, the idea that we won't always be top dog, that, that we will be forced to cede our preeminence if we want to keep our dignity. Wow, powerful statement. Stay tuned as we go (laughs) forward into this new world. I've been here with Dr. Robert Fuller, and he's the author of many books, including The Theory of Everybody. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, robertworksfuller.com. That's Robert Works, W-O-R-K-S, Fuller. 
newdimensions.com, or you can give there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I want to thank you for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe and invite you to please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.